welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and uh, today we are having an awesome show with uh, an organization that perhaps more so than Peterson's Bowhunting is the voice of bowhunting. That's the Pope and Young Club, and I have on the line with me today Mr. Jim Willems, who is the president of Pope and Young. Jim, thank you so much for being with us today on Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. Well, Christian, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, Yeah, and I really appreciate your time because I understand you are taking some time out from a very important pursuit. You're in Kansas right now chasing spring gobblers. How's the hunt going? Well, today was my first morning out, and uh, I saw a couple of gobblers, but they just weren't cooperating this morning. Nothing nothing hot and exciting. They just kind of stood out there and ignored me, so... uh, and so far, it's kind of slow, but that will change. It kind of changes overnight sometimes. That's right. Tomorrow is another day, and you could have two two gobblers on the ground by 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, and I hope you do. I wish you the best of luck. Yeah. Thank so, you. So, Jim, we were talking a little bit before the show. My understanding <laughs> is you've been a member of the Pope and Young Club for about 30 years, and uh, it's your second term as the president. And uh, you'll be president here through the spring of 2018. Talk to me a little bit about your own background in bow hunting. Have you been uh, bow hunting since you were a, a kid? Well, I started when I was 17. I, I grew up here in Kansas and, and grew up on the family farm. And then back in those days, you couldn't even get a deer tag until you were 16. And, and my dad was a, a shotgunner and a rifleman. And and into varmint hunting and and in those days it was really hard to get a deer tag, even as farmers as landowners. Uh, but when I was 16 years old, my first year I was eligible. I actually drew a rifle deer tag. Um, but back in those days, if you drew a tag one year, you couldn't even apply the next year. But you could get an archery tag every year. You could apply for an archery tag the next year. So. I really wanted to hunt deer, and I was finally old enough to do it. So my second year, I, I got an archery tag, and and I knew it was coming, so I bought a bow and was practicing. And, you know, the, as they say, the rest is history. I had a fabulous first-year hunt. Um, let's see, I, I killed my first buck on my second year with a bow, and then on my third year, I actually killed a really nice Pope and Young deer. So, uh, you know, that's, that was the beginnings of my bow hunting. And, and not too long after that, I started hunting in Colorado and New Mexico for elk and just never looked back. And in fact, when I was 25, I moved to New Mexico to be closer to the more species, the elk and mule deer, lions, bears, antelope, all of that stuff. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm a hardcore bow hunter. So when you talk about back in those days, what years are we talking about when you were getting started in the sport? My first year bow hunting, I believe, was 1979. Okay. And so that would have been 
probably, I'm trying to think because it was a little before my time in bow hunting when the compounds were really coming in, but that was right around the mid to late 70s into the early 80s, wasn't it? Yeah, that's correct. In fact, um, there was a, an old guy that was kind of our, our mentor. And by old guy, I mean, he was my father's age that had been a bow hunter since the first season in Kansas was 1968. So he had about 10 years experience and he shot a recurve bow and, and did until he was, geez, into his seventies, I think. Um, but during that late seventies period, uh, the recurve and longbow had kind of gone out of fashion and and everything you read about in the magazines was the, the newer compounds you you didn't have as many choices then or they weren't as obvious then so my first bow was a, a it's an old it was an old bear polar ltd it was a six-wheel compound bow that um was adjustable for about 20 pounds uh the draw length was set but you could adjust the the weight for about 20 pounds and uh pretty primitive well certainly very primitive by today's standards but you know it was it was a neat little bow and it was certainly capable of killing deer so that's where i started that's awesome and 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 so it sounds like too um by the way you're talking back then in the late 70s there weren't really a whole lot of whitetails in kansas there really wasn't. Uh, you know, I was 14 years old before I saw my first deer in Kansas. And, of course, we lived in farm country, and there was a decent amount of timber. But, um, you know, from from the, the days of, of subsistence hunting and the, the turn of the century, the deer were just wiped out. And, and what few survived, I guess it took decades for them to come back. But then because they had such limited licensing and... and um, you know, plenty for them to eat that once they started coming back, you know, about, I don't know, six, seven years after I started hunting, the population, you could almost say it really exploded. And and there was a, a period, I'm going to say in the early, early 90s, when they actually let us kill two bucks, if you get it right. Um, but uh, it, it was... You know, I, I consider it to be a great way to grow up. Even though there wasn't a lot of deer, there weren't very many deer hunters, and and you could get permission to hunt just about anywhere. So I had some really unbelievable hunting, and and now all of that stuff that I grew up hunting, um, it's either leased up or or the family's kids grew up and they start hunting. And um, I don't have nearly as many places to hunt as I did back then, just because of the, the hunting pressure. Yeah, I know that's, that's the way it is across most of the Midwest nowadays, the the days of being able to, to knock on the door and go put up a few tree stands have kind of gone the way of the dodo bird, which uh, which is a shame, but probably a rabbit trail we ought not to go on because I want to keep our focus on Pope and Young Club. Um, you, okay. you, you mentioned the uh, that I think you said it was your third year as a bow hunter you killed what you called a pope and young buck i wonder uh you know that's a term that we throw around a lot in bow hunting circles if we got a deer you know that's 125 inches or better or whatever say oh it's a pope and young deer um did you actually enter that deer in the records program and if you did is that how you got introduced to the club uh yes and yes i i absolutely entered it um you know back in those days 
wasn't that long ago, 30 some years ago. Um, I guess that's a long time, but, uh, if you killed something that big, it was kind of automatic. You were so excited that you got one that qualified for the record books that you, you took the time and you had it entered. Just about everybody did. Um, now we have so many hunters and they're killing so many deer. Um, it's, it's kind of gone out of fashion to enter an animal in a record book, which is something we can talk about once we get onto that portion of this interview. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the Pope and Young, you know, the records of North American big game, because you guys do a lot of things at the club, but I, I don't think you'd argue that the records program is probably what generates the most public visibility or certainly what bow hunters think about when they hear Pope and Young because, again, whether it's whitetails or elk or a variety of other species, you know, there's that magic threshold for for score, you know, that kind of meets that minimum and we call that, you know, that's a book animal or it's a Pope and Young animal. Why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, the history of the big records, our big game records program, what the purpose of it is and, and kind of how it's doing, you know, today. Like you said, it sounds like maybe, um, you know, maybe it's not uh, quite as en vogue as it was, like you say, when you were a teenager. Yeah, so so literally the, the Pope and Young Club was founded uh, around our record system to create bow hunting opportunities. So so we were uh, we started as a club in 1961, and you know it's it's not all that well known unless you're an old guy like me that that back in those days most states didn't even have archery seasons. Uh, they didn't consider a, a bow and arrow, um, whether it was ethical or or capable or whatever. It just wasn't a hunting weapon. There were a few states and a few places where it was kind of experimental. So as the Pope and Young Club was founded, it, it, it was founded to create opportunity. And the best way to create opportunity is to maintain records of what we actually did. So we were able to... Uh, you know, anybody who killed a, a in those days, the, the minimums were lower. So what most people would consider a mature animal um, that should qualify for the record book. We wanted it entered in the record book so we could show the various states that, you know, 500 bow hunters went out and, and they killed 10 or 20 good mature animals during this season or, or maybe more. And it was all, all focused around creating more seasons and more opportunities and and over the years it, it, we were wildly successful doing that obviously because we have bow hunts in every state uh, we have unbelievably long seasons in a lot of states we have preferred seasons whether it's it's in the rut for elk or whitetail um, you know we, we over the years have gotten all of the, the preferred hunts because being bow hunters we didn't kill quite as many at least back in the day we didn't um so there was more opportunity for uh, less impact and and certainly from day one even today uh, when you go bow hunting you spend more time in the field just because it's harder uh you don't go out on opening weekend and kill your animal and you're done most bow hunters hunt fairly long seasons and spend a lot of time doing it so so that was the purpose of the record club from the very beginning Gotcha. And so, so really, 
you know, whereas today a lot of us might think of it as a as a like a way to to you know brag about the big deer that you killed or to make sure that your name is is has a permanent memorial, you know, to all those great accomplishments you did out there as a hunter. That wasn't really the genesis of the the point of it. it was really more about promoting the sport of bow hunting and showing that it was uh, you know an effective method of hunting and that uh, uh, y- you know it justified a lot of the advocacy that you guys did and then let's tie right into that and talk about those early efforts you know talk to me about the club's history in terms of what you guys have done uh, advocating for archers uh, in front of state agencies federal agencies around the country and the kind of impact that that's had over the years on those opportunities that you mentioned Okay, but you know that's, that's kind of hard to touch on because, like I said, we are we basically accomplished that in all fifty states. So, so there's a lot of accomplishments there. Uh, but it, from from getting that, getting to where we had um, legal bow seasons and, and preferred seasons, just about everywhere, um, we also focused on on fair chase hunting. And, and with a, with a bow and arrow, uh, it's, it's about as fair chase as you can get as long as you follow the rules. So we have, have always completely advocated for following the rules, uh, being fair. You know, we don't, we don't allow animals to be entered that were taken behind a high fence or, or, you know, shot at night or with most species, you know, run down by hounds, things like that. So, so we went from creating seasons to uh, maintaining seasons by making sure everything was as fair and ethical as you could possibly be, which, you know, hopefully uh, shows up in, in public opinion as well. So, so we went from, from the record keeping, which we still do, of course, and we always will. Um, somebody has to do it and nobody does a better job than us. But we also focus on the fair chase, which, um, you know, even even back when the compound bow was first invented, I wasn't part of the club then, but I'm sure it was hotly debated whether this was going to be allowed as archery equipment. And they probably fought over it for several years before they finally realized that, you know, it's it's here to stay and it's a bow and it's in bow seasons. And, and uh, you know, it's just part of who we are now. So with, with the focus on fair chase, we're still... Um, we still have to deal with things that, that certain gadgets or electronics or whatever that that might be um, used that would make it less fair. And and we try not to be the equipment police, but we literally are the, the people who, the organization that people look to when something like that comes up. Right. Well, I mean, there's been all sorts of things, like you talked about, the compound bow, um, you know, and things have changed over the years, right? I mean, just for example, and again, you know, it's sort of before my time, but initially uh, you couldn't enter any animal if you used a bow that had let off, right? And then for a while it was a lower let off maybe than you're allowed to have today. Uh, am I getting that at least partly right, Jim? That, that's partly right. When when the club decided to accept the compound bow as, as archery equipment, um, and this would have been late 60s, early 70s, like I said before my time, um, as, the, as the compound bow advanced, 
Um, at, at some point, uh, the club thought that any bow with a higher let off than 65% was, was pushing the limit and, and not considered fair chase anymore. So we had a, we had a limit on the let off at, at a certain point. Um, and that, that was a contentious and, and, you know, heavily fought over issue for quite a few years. And it finally got to the point where, you know, most people were just using bows that were, you know, 70 to 80% let off. And all of a sudden we have a whole bunch of animals that are being killed that don't even qualify for our records because of our let off rule. And, you know, just like any other organization, we eventually evolved and, and did away with that. And, and now we do, we, we identify let off as an issue with a bow, not, not a positive or negative issue, just that it, it does exist. But the, currently we don't regulate, um, any let off bow that whether or not an animal can go in our books. Gotcha. So, so that, that happened, I don't know, about 15 years ago when, when we jumped through that hurdle. And then there's other things, like you said, you, you know, you, you mentioned the word gadgets, but just, uh, I mean, I think it was just, it was either last year or the year before. I know it was in the last couple of years. The issue of lighted knocks has been something that, um, I think as a club, you've probably been discussing internally for, you know, a number of years, but just more recently here, you, you dropped the prohibition against them for animals to be entered in the books, right? That, that's correct. And, and it wasn't that we specifically prohibited lighted knocks. It was, it was just back in the day when they, when they set up the rules, the, the rules were nothing electronic attached to the bow or the arrow. And this was before the lighted knocks were even a dream, I expect. So uh, just because of that rule, when people started using lighted knocks, um, all of a sudden they weren't eligible to be entered in our records because that's something electronic attached to the arrow. Um, and the same way with, with video equipment, people started using GoPro cameras on their bows. And there you go, there's another electronic device that if you shoot an animal with that, on your bow, it's, it doesn't qualify. Um, and, and, you know, our reasoning was when we, when we set the rule was because we wanted to all be fair chase, but we didn't realize, you know, just what you're going to run into years down the road. So, uh, as people started using lighted knocks and, and there's really no justification to say that's not fair. It doesn't help you kill anything. It just, changes the way you do it um you know eventually we had to change that rule as well so uh we do allow lighted knocks and we do allow bow mounted cameras and and you know it's talking about electronic devices on on bows a number of years ago uh ran into a guy who would uh, strap his watch to his bow so he didn't have to look at his wrist to keep track of what time it was and here's an electric watch so there you go now that that bow doesn't qualify as pair chase uh, under our rules. So, you know, any organization has to evolve as time goes by and, and keep up with the times. But it's it's a fine line to make sure that we still maintain our history and, and our, our fair chase and, and what archery was originally meant to be. Right, right. And obviously, you know, things will continue to come up uh, as time goes by because we just see, 
you know, I mean, I'm very keenly aware of it as the editor of a bow hunting magazine. You know, it's every year I, I even wrote a column. Uh, of course, we put out a, a new gear issue every year. And uh, a couple years back, I kind of likened the the archery and bow hunting industries. It's like a it's like a like a military arms race, if you will, you know, kind of just drew an analogy, right? Everyone's trying to come up with, you know, the better mousetrap. And so, you know, if I've got a bow that shoots 350 feet per second, somebody else is going to make one that's 360. And then somebody else is going to try and make one that goes 370. And, and if this guy's got a lighted knock that's, you know, 100 lumens bright, somebody else wants one that's 150. And if somebody's got a broadhead, you know, that's so sharp and this wide of a cutting diameter, or somebody's going to do better than that. And, and so it just never really stops, does it, Jim? No, it, it really doesn't. And it's whatever people can think of, they're going to design and make and try to sell. And, and you just never know what's going to take and be the, the next most popular thing. And and as an organization uh, focused on fair chase, you know, we just have to uh, look at things like that. And, and if, it's, if it doesn't affect... Um, if it doesn't give the hunter an unfair advantage, then, uh, you know, we, we need to look at accepting it. Even if something in our rule says we don't, we'll, we'll definitely look at it and see see where we go with it. Um, it's, it's a little bit worrisome to me as, as one of the old guys that uh, now people seem to be shooting longer distances. They have flatter shooting bows and... And of course, the laser rangefinder changed changed everything as far as judging yardage, and and uh, it, I think to some extent it's taken away from from the uh, the the magical part of shooting a bow and arrow. Um, but it's it's still a bow and arrow, and it's still legal in most seasons. So um, you know we have to adapt to accept some of those things. Yeah. And, and I guess I'd be remiss if we went through this section of the interview and I didn't bring up the word crossbow, right? Because this is something that uh, certainly, good Lord, I, I actually get tired of it. I'm sure you get tired of it at times, Jim, and I get tired of it as the editor because so much of the correspondence that we get from readers uh, has to do with the back and forth over crossbows. And I know that the Pope and Young Club has certainly had a number of conversations about that, and, and you're club's position on the crossbow is is pretty well known in that you don't uh, advocate for the crossbow but clearly um, you know I've seen it you've seen it the explosion uh, on the manufacturer side and, and the sales side on the crossbow side of things and we've seen the liberalization of uh, crossbow seasons either separately uh, or overlapping or included just within the general archery seasons uh, across the country uh, why don't you just kind of lay out for me, uh, rather than me try to put words in your mouth, what the club's position is on crossbows and kind of where you see that kind of going as you look into the future in your crystal ball and if you see any parallels there between, you know, what had happened in the, the 70s when the compound bow came along and, and where we might be at with crossbows. Yeah, there, there's a lot to that. The, the position of the, of the Pope and Young Club is, is crossbows aren't what we consider archery equipment. 
and don't belong in archery seasons. That's been our position forever. Of course, we've we've lost most of those battles, and and crossbows are legal in a lot of archery seasons, and and there's really nothing we can do about it. We still don't think that they belong in the same season, and and there's there's absolutely no doubt that they should require um, separate hunter education. Um, we believe that even if they are in the archery season, they should require a separate license. Um, so you can differentiate whether it's a traditional bow or a uh, or a crossbow. Um, so it should have separate licensing, separate education, and and we'd like to see separate seasons. But you know, there's only so many days to go around. Um, you know, I I think many of us are seeing that it's it, it hasn't done what the manufacturers swore it would do or the advocates swore it would do. It hasn't increased. Um, hunting license sales you're just moving people from one season to another um i I, i'm certain we're going to see that uh in the end the manufacturers aren't going to be happy with it because you don't sell all of the uh the devices that go with a typical compound bow and and sadly when you sell a crossbow to to most hunters it's kind of like the rifle hunters they they buy one and it lasts forever they don't go out and shoot it and practice like we do. We, we, you don't go to crossbow shoots, or at least I've never seen one. Um, you don't have the camaraderie. You don't have the, uh, um, the the fraternal part of bow hunting where you can go out and, and you know walk around and shoot targets with your buddy. Um, it's it's changing things, and and in my opinion, it hasn't really changed anything for the better. But of course, I'm I'm a old hardcore bow hunter and um we don't we don't really like change we, we want to keep our seasons and and get out there and have fun with what we have so so that's where we're at with that and one thing i wanted to ask you and, and i kind of i wonder about this and i like and i'm a big analogy guy uh, as you've already guessed with my my uh column that i mentioned i think about whether you know the club's position is clear and obviously you know I, I heard your opinion um that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody who's part of the pope and young club feels the same about crossbows or really any issue for that matter right i liken it to like being a member of my church i might not agree with every decision that my church board you know makes from now until the end of my life but that doesn't mean i'm going to leave the church because they decide to do something that i don't necessarily agree with and i imagine you guys have the same thing within the family of the pope and young club talk to me a little bit about you know the process that you guys go through how do you come up with your positions on different issues what kind of input does each individual member have as you look at these difficult issues and try to decide what's our position going to be and what do we feel is you know the best thing for for the future of bow hunting. Yeah, that, and that's another tough question to answer. But uh, the the quick answer is um, we have kind of a unique membership structure, and and we always have had. When the Open Young Club was first founded, uh, we tried to mirror the Boone and Crockett Club, and and the Boone and Crockett Club only has one hundred members, and they have forever. Um, they have thousands of associates, but they aren't real members. So they have 100 members that run the club. And the Pope and Young Club wanted to do that as well, but then 
you know, I wasn't there at the time, but it appears that they realized very quickly that while the 100 members at the Boone and Crockett Club were were very wealthy individuals and and had enough money to maintain the club and do whatever the club needed to do, our 100 members were uh, bow shop guys and writers and and people who really couldn't support the club. So over the years, we've had to change our structure over and over to try to um, uh, maintain enough members to keep the club growing. Um, but, but with our, our membership structure, even today, you have to be a member of the club 10 years before you can become a voting member. And, and that's a little archaic and hard to understand, but the, the original concept behind that was uh, if you were going to have influence in the club, the club wanted you to be a very ex- experienced and traveled bow hunter. We didn't want to have uh, a huge majority of our, our hunters being uh, whitetail-only hunters from back east and making the decision for the, the club nationwide. So our, our membership structure is, is such that um, you have to be fairly experienced to be a voting member of the club. And and we currently have 600 voting members. Maybe we're up around 700 now. Um, but our bylaws uh, are set up to where it requires a, a vote of the membership to make any serious changes. So we have a, a board of directors, which is elected by those members. And then if, if we're going to change anything drastically, we have to ask the members for input to change that. And they have to vote yes or no on it. So uh, making a major change is is extremely difficult to do, and it it needs to be um, something that needs done before we really even look at it. So, so that's how we determine things like this. Gotcha. So, and, and what's the total membership of the club, uh, and what do you call the other members who aren't voting members? There are general members. And and that's another thing we dealt with over the years. Originally, you couldn't become a member of the Pope and Young Club, uh, and that was the case up until about three years ago. If you hadn't killed a big game animal with a bow, um, you couldn't be a member. Uh, but then at some point, we decided we wanted a youth membership, so we, we were signing up youth members to try to grow the, the sport and whatnot. But then we realized that we had youth members that turned 18 years old and hadn't killed an animal with their bow, and then they were kicked out of the club because they didn't qualify as an adult. So we, we changed that to, so we have a supporting member, which um, is basically anybody that wants to join can join. The, the general member is what used to be um, our, we call them associates back in the day. Uh, but the general member is the person that has shot an animal with a bow. And, and once you've done that, your 10 years, um, your 10 year countdown to become a, a voting member starts after you've, you, you've joined the club and you've taken an animal with a bow and arrow. Um, so th- those are considered general members. Gotcha. And, uh, did, I don't think you answered the part. What is the membership of the club? Oh, we're we're at seven thousand total. Gotcha. So really, yeah. and we we've hovered around that number for quite a few years. That's kind of an amazing number when you think about it, isn't it? And 
I would say this, that hunters, and maybe bow hunters in particular, were sort of notoriously bad joiners, because I even think, you know, if you take a magazine like Peterson's Bow Hunting, we've got about 125,000, you know, folks around the country who take the magazine every month, and uh, that's not a huge number when you think about the fact that there's, well, what do we generally say, you know, there's several million bow hunters coast to coast, so uh, we don't always do the best job of, of banding together uh, as a community, I imagine that you'd like that number to be somewhat higher if you if you had your way. Oh, that, that's absolutely correct. And, and you're right. It's the, the bow hunting nationwide, the number somewhere between three or four million, maybe five, just depends on how they take the number. And uh, the fact that we only have 7,000 members is, is, doesn't shed very good light on bow hunters in general. And, the problem is we're kind of a solitary lot. We like to get out on our own and be by ourselves, and and we aren't joiners. Um, but you know, it's it's my opinion. It always has been. If if you are a true bow hunter and hardcore, you live, breathe, and eat bow hunting, and you want to hunt everything everywhere. Um, the the best way to do that is to win the Pope and Young Club because then you're going to be a part of an organization that includes the people that live, breathe, and eat bow hunting and, and do hunt everywhere. So, and that's kind of why I joined, um, to, to be around those people and to talk to those people, get to know them. And, and before you know it, you have friends in all over the country. And when you want to hunt, uh, Colombian blacktail in Oregon, you know, you already know three or four people that live in Oregon or maybe six or eight. That you can call up and talk about it. So it's it, it's really a great organization if you really are serious about bow hunting. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about. You know, we talked about the records program uh, a little bit. We talked about you know some of these more controversial issues. Talk, talk to me. Talk to me about some of the reasons why uh, you know it's beneficial to a bow hunter to be a member of Pope and Young, both in terms of personally, like you mentioned, you know, developing those friendships and those contacts that may open some doors for your personal hunting opportunities. But what about some of the other things that you guys are doing besides just the record? program uh even currently you know today in in 2017 when it comes to you know political issues or conservation issues that are happening you know around the country well there's always a lot going on we we do have a full-time paid staff um we have uh, i think six full-time people and a a couple of part-time people so there's always a lot going on Uh, we we started a conservation program back about 20 years ago, which uh, gave us a way to um, um, raise funds for, for various conservation issues. And, and so we support uh, anything from species research to um, even beginning bow hunters. We, we, were, uh, we gave a considerable amount of money to NASP when they were first getting started. Um, we've given a considerable amount of money to uh, Boy Scouts of America at their archery program, and more recently, we've we've tie, uh, connected ourselves with uh, Scholastic 3D Archery, which which is an organization that was intended to fill the gap between the the younger NAST kids and actual bow hunting. So they're they're actually shooting 3D targets with with any bow they want, hunting hunting style bows, hunting weight bows, 
and and there's also a classroom curriculum tied to that program that the Pope and Young Club was was helpful in creating the curriculum to uh, make sure that fair chase and and somewhat of the history of bow hunting was was taught to these kids. And now there's thousands of kids going through that. So those are some of the things that we're doing right now. Um, but, you know, about as much as anything else, we need, we are the only real national bow hunting organization out there that speaks for bow hunting, bow hunters across the country. Uh, there's plenty of state organization, there's plenty of local organizations, but on the national level, if the Pope and Young Club doesn't do it, who's going to? Um, right. There's there's really nobody other than, uh, you know, the Archery Trade Association, they, they get involved at the national level. Um, but they're more concerned with the, the manufacturers and whatnot and selling equipment. Whereas we're we're concerned with fair chase and and maintaining the the sport itself, um, not that the two don't overlap a lot, they do, but we need more more numbers, more people to have more power to have more influence on the national level, right? And and that's one of the things we're pushing on real hard was to increase our membership so we have a bigger voice. Yeah, and do you guys work quite a bit with the various state bow hunter organizations? Because I imagine there's probably some of those that have memberships that uh, approach yours. Like I, I don't know what it is nowadays. I know, like here in Pennsylvania, they've had a, a, a pretty you know active group for a long time. I know a lot of the, the bigger bow hunting states have active uh, bow hunter organizations. Yeah, and, and and we reach out to those organizations, and and uh, you know, just through our history, probably our our biggest um, uh, influence on the state level was helping the local organizations to try to, um, for lack of a better word, try to defeat the the crossbow advocates. Which you know, whether you like that or not, that that's one of the things we did because the the uh, state organizations requested help with it. Um, and, and also trying to help with, uh, you know, if, they're, if they are going to make the crossbow legal, we should um, at least set up some rules and not make it just anything goes. So we worked on that a lot. Um, and and now there's we have a renewed push to, to work with state organizations um, to help each other out because we're, we're not really growing very fast. And a lot of state organizations are losing members. So we need to figure out ways to work together to rejuvenate some of the state organizations because that's really where, uh, at the grassroots level, that's where all of the important things get started. So uh, we're, we're, we're reaching out to organizations and trying to get that going. So uh, there's, there's just a lot going on within the Pope and Young Club right now. Yeah, and I know it's not just with the clubs either. I mean, uh, you know, I know that the last couple of years, uh, just uh, license sales, generally speaking, I think have been pretty flat. You know, if you look at the total number of bow hunters, uh, it's kind of just, like I say, just flat. I think that the the industry, you know, the manufacturers have seen um, kind of a challenging couple of years in terms of equipment sales. So it just seems like the whole... You know, sector is just 
kind of struggling to hold its own. What do you think the reason is for that, Jim? And, and you know, what are some thoughts and ideas that you and, and the club, uh, you know, may have for, for ways that we may spark some renewed interest, particularly amongst, you know, the next generation of uh, bow hunters? Yeah, the, the you know our our biggest thing right now is our our partnership with the Scholastic 3D Archery organization. <clears throat> um, it, it is similar to NASP, where they they uh, um, create instructors, they sign up instructors, and and they uh, uh, what I want to say they recruit kind of like NASP does from on the on the local level to bring kids in, and and of course everybody knows that kids want to shoot bows. Um, you know what kid doesn't and but you need you need uh, mentors and instructors to to teach them how to go from just flinging arrows in the backyard to being competitive in in the 3d world and and then having an interest in hunting um, you know we, we have all kinds of problems with with access issues uh, private lands getting leased up so the average teenager can't like we said before can't walk down the road and get permission to hunt uh, there's just not places to do it so we have to come up with ways to um, as as the older bow hunters we have to come up with ways to share what we know with the younger generation and and take them under our wing and bring them on board and, and I think that is the best way to do that is is actually reach out to those people and give them the opportunity and and as you know, once you get out and you you actually bow hunt for a year or two, and you have a little bit of success, and you're hooked, you just you want to do it all the time. So, I think that's our best move. Yeah, absolutely. And Scholastic 3D is a is a tremendous organization, and one thing that you know people need to become more aware of. And Scholastic 3D is a great uh, tool for that. Is there's more and more. Uh, opportunity growing all the time for young people uh, who enjoy archery to shoot in college and actually be earn scholarship money uh, to be a part of a college collegiate archery programs and Scholastic 3D is you know really turning into a a great feeder program for a lot of the college uh, archery teams around the country and uh, it's been neat to to see that really taken off and to I think that's going to be good for our sport as more and more you know youngsters realize that there's there's real opportunity you know it's not only something that's a lot of fun something you can be passionate about but to actually be able to get some significant uh, scholarship money for your archery achievements it, it puts it right on a level with you know the more traditional ball sports for something that you know good uh, young athletes will want to pursue yeah, that's that's correct. It really has been a boon for uh, the industry coming up. Um, we're still having trouble replacing the guys that are dropping out. But uh, yeah, I, I think we're doing a lot to to help out the future of the sport. Yeah. Well, Jim, what uh, what are some of the ways that we can learn more about Pope and Young Club? If somebody wants to learn more about the club, become a member, um, you know, connect with uh, club activities. Where do they find? you guys well the obvious place is our, our website and it's uh, pope-young.org of course you can 
to a search engine and find it anywhere. Uh, a lot of information on the website, and and also there's contact information for various individuals within the club. Um, uh, another way to learn about the club is, of course, through our records program. We have about 800 official measures throughout the country, um, all over the place. And, and that's another place where we're trying to uh, grow more interest in the records program as we are training more. Uh, more measures, so we have more measures, and they're easier to find and easier to get a hold of. So uh, the, the measures are really our, our biggest advocates. Um, they they measure the animals out there, and they typically know a lot about the club and can answer most of the questions. And certainly, if they can't answer the questions, they know who to ask. And so, I think so those are the two best ways to find out about the club. And it's probably also worth mentioning: uh, you don't have to be. A club member to enter an animal in the records program, do you? You do not. That's correct. And anybody can enter an animal in the record book. For years, we've had uh, introductory membership offer where if you enter an animal in the record book and you aren't a member, you can join at that time for half price. And, and we sign up a lot of members that way. And, and you know, sadly, a lot of them, they, uh, they just want to see that animal in, in an issue of the magazine. Um, and then after a year, they drop out. But that's kind of typical of most organizations. You, you, uh, it's not hard to sign people up, but it's hard to keep them uh, as members year after year. Um, but we're always trying to do things to, to try to fix that. Yeah. Well, good, um, Jim. What about like social activities and whatnot? I know you guys just had a big convention here this spring and uh, had the members together. I think you auctioned off a bunch of hunts. Are there other activities? Are there uh, hunting trips, uh, different shoots and things like that where people have an opportunity to, you know, actively participate with the club? Yeah, there's there's a few things. Of course, since we are a record organization, we have our, our biennium awards banquet where every other year we invite about four or five of the biggest uh, biggest of each species to uh, to come to our convention and, and we run them through a panel measure and, and uh, verify just how big they are and that's where we uh, verify the world records so so we do that every other year and uh, it's a Wednesday through Saturday convention we move it around the country this this last April it was in st. Louis um, so so we move around a lot with that uh, a year ago we had uh, our first bow hunter rendezvous in Wisconsin uh, a year ago in June and we're looking at doing that every other year as well so on the off convention year we have a, a function that's probably going to be in Wisconsin again next year and we'll we'll be in June again um, we have had some hunts in the past and and yeah. sadly I was uh, um, the chairman of the special hunts program and and when I got elected president I had to give that up because I didn't have time to do it anymore and, and we haven't really had anybody pick that up for for a number of years we did a do-it-yourself cow's deer hunt in Mexico in Sonora Mexico where uh, the, the busiest we had 24 guys go down well men and women 24 bow hunters go down and and hunt cow's deer uh, in Mexico. Had some great hunts, had some really good success. Um, but then the combination of me 
stepping out of that position and the drought kind of hurt the population where we were hunting. We, we gave that up for a little while. And hopefully we can get that going again and, and start doing more things. But those, those are some of the things we have done and are doing. Well, it all comes down to, like you said, we you can only do so much with 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 the people that you have and so uh need to get some more good people uh in there with pope and young and 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 get some you know some of these things going again so uh jim thank you so much for being with us today i wish you the best when the rest of your turkey hunt there uh back home in kansas and whatever you have coming up this fall uh i hope you fill all your tags this year and have some heart pounding encounters i appreciated the opportunity to learn more about pope and young and and the things that you guys have done for the sport of bow hunting in the past and continue to do uh wish you all the best and wish the best to the club as they continue to uh serve as advocates for all of us who enjoy chasing animals with the stick and the string well christian thank you for the opportunity i I always like talking about the club and promoting the club and and of course just talking bow hunting that's that's what i do all right so i really appreciate the opportunity all right well take care now jim thank you very much Thank you for listening to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bow hunters. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com.